Hey, Joel Johnson here with another Rainmaker Evolution podcast. I hope you are all doing well. Um, I've been waiting for a long time to do this one. This is my partner, Eric Hogarth. He's joining us today. Many of you that have been in the Rainmaker group for a number of years have uh, seen Eric walk us through the sales process. But I thought today, instead of anything to do with sales, we would talk about uh, growing a partnership, um, kind of going back to the beginning where uh, I actually made the decision and Eric made the decision to buy into the company. And we kind of take it over a long period of time. And the reason I wanted to do this is because many of you are to the point or are at the point right now that uh, maybe our firm was eight years ago, six years ago. And sometimes it's hard to see the vision when you um, when you look at something that's gotten really, really big. At least that was the case when I used to go to conferences. I'd you know, look at somebody up on stage and they had staff of 40 people and they had done, you know, in the life insurance business, they did, you know, 12 million of target premium. And I, I would think, gee, I, I don't know how I can get there. I'm so far away from that. So I thought it would be helpful um, to take you through that process. So first of all, uh, Eric, welcome to the podcast. I don't think you've ever been on this podcast before, have you? I have not been on the podcast. Thank you, Joel. Honored to be here. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm excited, and we're gonna we're gonna tell everybody the good and the bad, the ugly here. So, Eric, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to um, when you were at MetLife, and I was uh, Brian and I had the office downstairs in the first floor of the building that we're in right now, and you know I approached you to um, to come over to leave the safety of a big giant firm um, where there were a lot of people and come over and join us when we just had. Uh, two people in the office here in Wethersfield, Connecticut, and a few down um, in a town not too far from here. So what was that like? How hard was that decision? So I, I love telling this story, and I've told it many times. People ask, so I you know, don't want to spend, I can go deep into the back of it. So so growing up, my, you know, my father worked for a local city. My mom's a retired school teacher. So the significance of that is, you know, I was living with my parents at the time, and I went to them and said, you know, Joel has asked me to, you know, go and work for him. And, you know, here I am at MetLife and I'm doing well, relative, you know. And, uh, you know, both my parents were like, well, that's crazy. Don't do that. You know, I have the stability of MetLife and stay there. Um, you know, but, you know, I'd spent time with you at Met. And to be blunt, you're the biggest producer that I'd ever met. But, you know, I was just feeling the the pressure of a restricted structure where you can't really give unbiased advice because you're limited in scope by what it is that company sells, you know, and I just felt myself pushing up against that. It was actually my wife who we weren't even married at the time. Um, we finally got to a point because I kept talking about Joel and talking about Joel and I was really excited about it. And it's a direction that I wanted to go. And I just didn't have the guts to pull the trigger until she finally said, uh, if you don't go to MetLife today and quit, don't come home. That's a direct quote. <laughs> I and I quit that this. day. <laughs> you know, I quit that day and my life changed, you know, coming to work with you, you know, which is, you know, we're kicking butt and doing all these things and you don't get as much time to look back and say things like that. But I mean, everything changed for me as a result of doing that, you know, and it started with just being excited about sitting down with folks and listening to them and, you know, figuring out exactly what it is that they needed unencumbered by any restrictions that you had when you're working for a big group that doesn't really care as much about, you know, that. Now, Eric, was that 2007? Is that what year it was? It was 2006. 2006. It was, uh, so my first official day, there, there was something on like the, the record keeping bookkeeping side of it. I was going to start like the last week of 2006 and 
Um, you know, someone else in the company said, well, it just works better if you start like January 2nd, 2007. So that's when we kicked it off. Yeah. Probably, probably some kind of tax shenanigans that was going on back then. No doubt shenanigans. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you started, and if I remember correctly, so it was Brian and I and you, uh-huh. um, and then Nancy Brunetti and two staff people down in Wallingford. That's it. So, so let me paint a picture for everybody. So we, so we had Nancy and I, uh, who owned the firm together. We had Brian Nephew, who most of you have met, and he was kind of helping me run the office up here. And then down in Wallingford, Nancy ran the Wallingford office, which had the operations. And we had some very interesting people. Um, we had Billy DeVino, who had all kinds of accidents over the weekend. He would show up, and he'd have, you know, his forehead was gashed open. A lot of, uh, a lot of trips and falls happened with Billy, if you know what I mean. Um, we had, um, I think, did we have the two other producers that wrote Zero Business at all, Eric? When I came, uh, the only other producer that was there uh, was Kyle, who was just a fantastic wealth of stories that we now tell. But Kyle, Kyle was there for like Kyle, a year. Kyle, yeah, Kyle was importing cigarettes from Russia. These boxes that would be Marlboro boxes would show up with Russian writing on them. So uh, we had that going for us. And, and then... <laughs> and then this is going to be a fun podcast. So then, let's see. So what happened at that point? So Kyle was with us. Kyle was doing some business. We started doing a lot more business. We were still only doing workshops at that point. Do you remember, Eric, when you first uh, did the workshop? Because I was doing all the workshops in the beginning. Yeah, so I came in, and this is back when we saw people in office, but a lot of the people we were seeing, we were seeing them at their home, which uh, was a huge benefit to me because just me and Joel just drove around everywhere, and you just talked to me. Uh, so my training was just amazing because that was about a year of just going to people's houses, seeing people in office, just literally together all the time. And I was just pure support for you. And then I started doing workshops that year, which I wasn't going to. It was probably, you know, something that, you know, we had like four people come into it and it was an hour and a half from our office. So I ended up doing the workshop, which was obviously a bloodbath, uh, you know, so trial by fire that way. And, you know, kept doing them, kept doing them, got better at doing them. But we were doing, you know, marketing was almost entirely workshops. And, you know, a lot of our focus was just safe money at that time. It was the whole That's focus. right. We, I don't know if we were doing any securities at all. We had licenses. We were probably doing a few mutual funds direct with uh, – actually, we were with the Allianz broker-dealer back then, weren't we? The only broker-dealer is, is when, for me, was Silver Oak. We had just moved that way right after okay. I came over. Okay. So we were doing some, uh, yeah, we're doing some mutual funds, some like loaded mutual fund stuff, but we definitely weren't doing any actively managed wrap stuff. So it was almost all annuities, a lot of first call closes, um, real simple. You know, do you want to make your money safe? Yes. Okay. Let's do this. If they wanted market money, we would usually move on. And so then, so what happened then is we started doing a lot of business. We were doing a lot of workshops. Eric was doing workshops. I was doing workshops, started doing a lot of business. And a fellow named Doug Miller, who, again, most of you that are in the Rainmaker group have met at some time or another at uh, some of the conferences, joined. He was a former wholesaler with Allianz. And Doug came on board and tried a selling role, and it kind of worked and it kind of didn't. But at the same time, I needed a lot of support and help because now Eric was off seeing his own clients um, or having his own opportunities. I didn't need to be there anymore. So Doug kind of came on as a support role for me. And and then at some point in 2010, we started doing radio. 
And uh, Eric, do you remember how things were going in 2010? This was um, this would have been a year or two before Nancy left. Yeah, we were. I mean, we were on a trajectory just exponentially increasing in those years, up and up and up is what I felt. I mean, I I just we had several years there. We we're just going like a million miles an hour in a good way. Um, but that's that's what I felt. And then we got involved with the radio, which was cool. I remember you know, end of the day, because we were on this local radio show and we were doing the market update. So the market would close and then you'd have to, you know, get on the horn like one minute later and talk about, you know, what kind of day the market had and why it did it. So I'm, I'm obviously like frantically Googling like 10 minutes before that. And you did most of the calls. And then me as the new guy, I got like the Friday call at like 10 after four that no one wants to do, but it was very cool. And then we get excited when he'd let us be on the radio for like more than a minute you know, do like five minutes. But that was, that was very cool. That's I right. Mean, that yeah. The, the radio host. The radio. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Tell the story about when, <laughs> when your friend from MetLife came up and saw the sales board in the office. You know what, you know, when you're in that structure, I, I remember walking around that MetLife office and, you know, everyone's just like hanging out and it's just like an assumed thing that everyone's kicking a bunch of butt you know, and then you kind of start to understand things and you realize that like no one's kicking butt and all they're doing is makes me sound very critical, but you know, the new guy comes in, I write down, you know, a hundred names of my, my closest friends and family member. And then I have some, you know, someone who's supposed to be my manager kind of, you know, stumble around those meetings and write biz on my family members, hoping that I fail out of the business. And then they just capture all that business and there's your growth structure. But one of the guys came up because in the big MetLife office that was downstairs, they didn't have a notary. So he'd come up from time to time to have us notarize stuff, which was always <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah, and he stumbled upon our sales board and thought it was like like for the year or something, and it was for the week. And it was, yeah, just funny. Was, I mean, just a different environment. I mean, you still feel that today. I was talking to one of the guys on the team earlier today. It's, uh, I, I guess it is tooting a horn. It's exciting. It's, it's good to have this pace and feel the energy and be excited about stuff and helping people and the opportunity and, all that stuff, but it's, it's different from a lot of other environments that people are in where they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're super busy. And it's like, you're not, you know? Yeah. So Eric, both of us are, um, both of us participate in strategic coach and Dan talks a lot about unique ability and focus on unique ability and trying to get rid of all kinds of other stuff. So think back to when you joined or maybe during that growth phase that happened where we're, we were really growing fast between like, I just remember 2008 to 2011 was just this monstrous growth. And what were the things that you found that you needed to stop doing so that you could focus on the things that you were doing the best? Because that's been one of the biggest keys to our growth is you and I being able to do that, even though it ruffled feathers inside the company from time to time. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. I mean, because you're cranking and you're doing everything and you're the best at doing everything which obviously you're not, but you think you are and you're going so fast and this is the only way I can get done. And then you don't want to slow down to train someone, but it's, I mean, in hindsight, that's ridiculous. You know, I I mean, strategic coach, which I'm only in because you advocated, I joined years and years ago, which has had a massive impact on me professionally, personally. It, like everything we talk, it's just simplified. Why are you doing all this stuff that you don't like doing, which means you're probably not that good at doing it. And someone else probably really likes doing. And as a result, is really good at doing it. Like when we were first talking about, well, maybe it's time that we had an assistant and we were both apprehensive and you're like, well, maybe we could share someone. 
which, you know, we were cranking big back then. We didn't need to share anyone. It was just like, well, I don't know what that person's going to do all day. And then, you know, you realize how much more efficient you are. Like I was talking to a buddy of mine who's runs this big construction company in my town. And he's, he's always going a million miles an hour. And it was his dad's company. Now he runs it and they're scaling up huge. And I'm like, well, you need an assistant, but he's, he can't see paying someone 30 grand to help him out, even though he'll probably make another half a million dollars as a result of doing it. And that's the same thing, you know, filling out apps and ordering post-it notes or whatever it is. I mean, unique ability is whittling down exactly what it is that you are the most, that you are the absolute best at doing and focus on all your time and attention on that. Like you talk about not being critical of it because our, our kids are in the public school system and that's where I went. But if you look at someone who's in school and well, you know, they're real good at math, but they, they're lousy at English. Well, we should put a lot of time and attention at getting them better in English so they can be more well-rounded. Well, people that kick ass, that is not how it works. If you're real good at math, you should focus all your attention, time and attention to getting to be the absolute best at math because that, if you're gonna excel at something, Become the absolute best at one thing and pay people to do everything else. And that's how you get exponential growth. But it's, it's counterintuitive for a lot of people because they can't envision, you know, I, I'm trying to be more profitable and, and that's going to cost me more money. I don't get it. But man, that what a difference. I mean, that strategic coach stuff is awesome. And I'm fortunate that you and I are speaking the same language with it because it, it's helped with a ton of things. Yeah, it's funny, the whole unique ability thing, because you know, people don't intuitively realize that they buy into it already. So, for instance, if you think about, you know, before this COVID nightmare happened, um, if you think about, you know, where people spend big bucks, going to concerts, um, going to athletic events and so on, where, you know, somebody will go see a, a, a musician and pay, in our world, you know, the guys listening to this podcast, 300 800 1200 I paid $3,000 a ticket once or $1,500 a ticket once to to go see a band and do the whole backstage thing and so on. And those people that were paying a bunch of money to see do nothing but their unique ability. They literally don't worry about their clothes getting from one hotel to the next. You know, all they have to do is get themselves to the right spot at the right time. And they don't even have to do that because usually they've got a companion next to them, an assistant next to them. So we don't have a problem buying into the concept. Most Americans don't have a problem buying into the concept, but they don't put two and two together that, hey, I could operate my life or my business that way also. But the highest paid people in the world and dare I say, most of the people that have the biggest impact on the world focus only on their unique ability, whether they're aware that they're doing that or not. You know, people like to talk about Tesla. What's going on with Tesla right now? And, you know, look at Elon Musk. I mean, Elon Musk just, my guess would be, and I don't know the guy, but my guess would be 80% of his time is focused on just running around and being this idea-filled maniac. And, um, you know, his personality probably isn't all polished with the people that he works with. Um, he's probably not the greatest, um, um, I don't know, accountant or whatever. And yet so many small business people are trying to do all those things. And yet we buy into the unique ability fact because, you know, T Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, all these people that we admire that have massive impact on the world spend 80 or 90 percent of their time doing just that single thing and then they make enough 
or they have co- compensatory structures in their lives to take care of all the other stuff. And, and it's funny, other people look at us doing that and they think we're lazy. I mean, my wife Wendy thinks I'm lazy. You know, I don't want to do yard work. I can go and work for an hour and pay for yard work for a month. So why would I do something I don't want to do? And sometimes it comes across like, you know, we're a little spoiled, and maybe we are, but but we can be spoiled because we just focus on unique ability, and it's 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 different in the world. And your school example is a is a perfect example where, you know, we force our kids to work on their weaknesses when they should be celebrating their strengths and. You know, yeah, maybe you need to do, you know, maybe you need to be able to write a letter so you can express, you know, in English a thought, but you don't have to learn to be excellent at writing if you're really, really good at math or you're really, really good at something else. So, Eric, so we're kind of going through this time period, 2006, 2008, 2011, and then the time came um, when we went down in Nashville and did the journey, which for those of you that aren't affiliated with Advisors Excel, it's Advisors Excel Conference, the conference of a big um, insurance brokerage firm. And uh, Nancy Brunetti and I and the company went down there, and for two days we taught other financial advisors how we had built the business. And do you remember, Eric, did the company know that I was going to buy out Nancy like three months later? Had we made that announcement, or was it, were we keeping it quiet at that point? Didn't know. Okay. Company didn't know. So so then we made the announcement probably right around the end of the year. Do you remember what your reaction was to that? Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> do, do we need to be do we need to be careful here? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh okay. you know, it was interesting because I you know, and I still I mean it maybe it sounds cheesy, but when I'm in meetings and people because Joel Johnson, you know, now when I'm in meetings, people are like, Oh, is this Joel? You know. Does he come to this office? I'm like, yeah, I see him like every day. They, you know, because it's, you know, they know Joel on TV and they know Joel on the radio and people don't see as much. So they just kind of like, it's like, oh, it's, you know, do I get to meet Joel? I mean, we had that really nice man that came in yesterday. He's been a client for a number of years. And, you know, he was just so, I, I was mid-sentence and he just walked away from me so that he could like, you know, say hi to Joel. So point is back then I was, you know, you've always been my mentor, but you know, at that time, I just, I, I was just talking to Nancy more than I was talking to you because like, I don't want to slow Joe down. I'm looking up to Joel. So I was, I talked to Nancy a lot because you're running around and you're super busy and Nancy's in the office and she's managing operations and stuff like that. So I remember sitting in the conference room where you made that announcement and, uh, and there wasn't a lot of us in there and you know, you're, you know, you're a big ass kicking sales guy. And, but Nancy is, is the operator. So I was kind of like, well, you know, I don't really know what it means. And I don't know if that's before, I mean, another big significant thing. I don't know if that was before or after, I think it was after you announced that you weren't going to see prospective clients anymore. I mean, that was a big, I remember it was the same conference room. I think that was before that. As for Hmm. like a massive pivotal shift in the company that had huge impact which would probably freak a lot of people out because you asked how it I was. Felt. It, that was actually a couple years after that. It was, was a couple years after, after I bought out Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, Oh, well it still freaked me out. So I guess both of those things freaked me out and charged me up. But yes, I remember how I felt when you made that announcement. I was a little nervous. Yeah. It was a big shift. I was nervous too. I didn't know how things would turn out. Actually, you know, but, but, um, but the cool thing is we had a lot of talent in the company. I mean, we had you that I could rely on to continue to bring in business um, Brian could pretty much handle all the business processing and the people that were involved in doing that. 
Um, we had um, Lori was handling the marketing, so she had come on board, I think, a year or two before. Yeah. And so we, we had really good people. And, and not only that, but we still have, you know, Brian and Lori. We have Peggy, um, who now is um, in our compliance department helping to run that. Um, but she was processing business at the time. And all of those people are still with the company. And all of those people, their roles have expanded and they've grown in responsibility and just done a great job. And now they run departments. You know, Lori came on as an event coordinator who worked under Nancy to basically put workshops together. And now she has a team of, what does she have over there, six, five, five or six people on her team yeah. that do marketing. And the level of the marketing is just absolutely sophisticated. And and it's mostly because of Lori and then also the talent that she has hired. So that's one of the things that I felt good about at the time was this the talent that we had. Because what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to take a step backwards. And that was one of the big things that I worried about was, am I going to now have to do all these things Nancy was doing? Because I did not want to do a lot of the things that she was doing. I'm just not wired that way. I would feel like I'm being slowed down and, and sucked into the details and so on and so forth. And I just want to run fast and stir the pot, shake things up and, and keep things moving forward. So anyway, so that was 20, uh, beginning of 2011. And then that following year, so I think it was 2012, what year did you buy into the company? Was it 2013? 13, 14, 15, 16, 2012. 17. No, it was 2012. 19, well, 19, 20. No, it was it, it was eight years ago. It was January first of 2013. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. January first of 2013. Okay, so the year 2012. So the year 2012, you were responsible for like 1.6 million dollars of revenue, or 1.8. I, I remember that, and and you approached me about buying equity. Correct. Yes. Okay. And so, you know, and here's where a lot of people get hung up, just like they get hung up on the unique ability and they get hung up about giving up control of um, sometimes where every nickel is being spent and so on. And a lot of people get hung up on this. Well, why would you sell part of the firm? And in my standpoint, so at that time, I was 50. Eric, you were how old? Eight years ago. 30. Like whatever your age is minus eight. <laughs> Good job on the math. I was 31. <laughs> okay. okay, so so you were 31. So I'm looking at this thing going, okay, I'm 50 and he's 31. And most people never have the opportunity to monetize this type of a business. And not only that, but, you know, if, if I am, if none of my kids want to come into the business and I just don't want to do that handoff, which usually doesn't work if we're honest about it in other businesses, in other financial services firms. This is an opportunity for me to set up some kind of a succession plan and also to get some money out of the company. So from my standpoint, yeah, it was giving up equity. It was giving up control or, or some control, not absolute control because I still had the majority of the shares. But it was a smart move from my standpoint because it gave me the ability to get some of the equity of the company out, set that aside for my family, which would allow me to have a lot less stress in running the company. I could think a little bit more long-term. From Eric's standpoint, you know, also from the company standpoint, you know, it tied Eric up. I mean, it, it, it made sure that he was going to be here for a while, which was important because at this point, he was one of the most important assets we had at the company. So t tell us how that discussion went. Was that something, Eric, that you considered and you just were ready to jump right into it? Was there nervousness about it? Because you paid a, you know, you 
you paid a lot of money. You wrote a check for a good amount, and then you did a five-year note. Yeah, it was a lot of money. Uh, n- no, there was never doubt in my mind. Not, not from a, I mean, you and I have talked about this. Um, I was going to say not from a success standpoint, but I guess I meant that too. Like it's, it's always what I wanted to do. So it was, so it was, it's going to happen any way that I could make it happen. It was going to happen. Like it was never a question of if that's what I wanted. It's, it was the only thing I wanted. Um, and then I felt at that time, we were so much smaller than we are now that I could really move the needle that if, you know, if we continue to have success and I continue to write a bunch of biz, then, then it all works out, you know? So, and I, I felt like at that point that, I mean, there's risk associated with doing that, but I felt like it was just, this thing would then sit entirely on the responsibility of you and I, and, you know, I'll bet on that hundred percent of the time and still would. So, you know, that's, that's how it went. And I think at that time we had probably the total employees counting you and I were maybe 10, 11, 12. I know at so that since, point, uh, I was going to say Heath was here then. I knew that. But that's that was right. It. We had just brought on Heath Grossman. We had just brought him on uh, because I remember Nancy saying, hey, you know, I'm going to sell out to you and I'm not going to benefit from, you know, from Heath being here, from you guys beginning to shift into you know, the whole fee-based managed money thing. Yeah. So, so there yeah, was, Heath yeah, had joined. Was me, Doug, and Heath were the three advisors. So, yeah, so I would guess we probably had 10 people at that point, maybe 12. Yeah, probably, around So sin- since then, from a gross revenue standpoint, we have grown um, f- five and a half or six times um, – which uh, in the last eight years or so, which is pretty darn good. And mm-hmm. our staff and our overhead have not grown five and a half or six times. So the, the economies of scale that we've gotten here from a financial standpoint have been, have been awesome. And, um, you know, we're still pretty conservatively managed. Eric, I don't know if you want to talk about that or not, but, but you, know, we're, you know, we see a lot of the guys in this business where they've got three houses and four boats and, you know, they got their three kids who couldn't get jobs somewhere else working in the business. And mm-hmm. we have made a conscious effort to not do that. I think if anything, we've tried to really keep this run like a business. And part of that is that's where the value is in the in the business is when somebody comes in and sees you, your business is more valuable if it's run like a business, not some kind of a, you know, Greek pizza shop or something. No offense to my Greek friends. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that this year in this you know unique environment when someone says, oh, you know, can I work from home? I mean, we're structured in this way. And we crank, we go fast and we're efficient and people are not sitting around doing nothing all day and checking their Facebook. And the reason I bring up that work from home is that, you know, to do what we do, this, this company requires everyone we have at it, kicking butt, doing an awesome job. No interest in, you know, kind of a lackadaisical mindset. Like it's, you know, and I think that comes as a result of both of us being wired that way. Um, but it's great and it's an exciting place to be. And that's, what's driven that is that we're not, you know, the competitive stuff is good, but you know, you want to create an environment, in my opinion, where people are competing against their best selves, you know, not benchmarking against, you know, I, I just got to edge out this other person, but I want to, you know, I want to better me. And I want every, you know, everyone thinking about that, whether you're a salesperson or, or someone that's on the team is that, you know, are you doing the best possible job that you could possibly be doing? 
you know, and feeling empowered as a result of it. And that's, you know, talk about conservative management is like, you know, we don't have people that are, you know, working half speed or, you know, we, ah, well, we don't really need that role. Like everyone's serving a function and that gets back, you know, to the strategic coach thing and being efficient. And, you know, that unique ability is that, you know, we work real hard to make sure that people are not doing tasks that they don't enjoy doing, because if you don't enjoy doing it, you're probably not that good at it. You know, so if you find the person who's really excited about, you know, chasing money and processing apps and making sure transfers happen, which is not something that I get, you know, super excited about, but, you know, Lane does who I work with on everything. And he chases that all day, every day so that I can focus on what I'm doing. And, you know, and the whole company's working that way and you can feel it. You can feel it when you come in here, even now, you know, the, the energy of it. And it's awesome. It's addictive. Yeah. And one of the things, um, you know, we've done and, and I want to always do is we've hired for the person. So, you know, we might have a job open and we might know well, marketing needs somebody and so on. And we start interviewing people and we have somebody that doesn't necessarily fit into that position, but we like them a lot and we'll just hire the person and figure out what they're going to do later. Um, I remember when I was using AE Employment Services, it was called Meek Rainey at the time, and we're looking to hire somebody, and they're like, well, you got to write a job description. I said, what are you talking about? No, I don't. They go, no, people actually want a job description. I said, well, the job description is show up and keep up, try to keep up. And apparently the rest of the world can't quite answer a, you know, employment ad that says that, but that really is what it's about. You know, we will hire for the person and figure out what they will do later. And, you know, I can think of two hires we have right now that are just amazing people that we will use in lots of different ways in the future than we're using them right now because we're excited about who they are, the talent that they have, the character that they have. And and what I really love is to hire people that want to learn. Um, you know, I, I ask the question all the time, is so-and-so bored? I don't want them to be bored. And obviously there are some players we have that are C players for one reason or another, and that's okay. But the people that I see that we want to develop, I want, I want those people that just love to learn. And we'll hire those people, whether we have a job for them or not. And, um, and it's worked. It's worked really, really well so far. And the people that we don't want to lose, as, a, as in general, we haven't lost. We've lost some pretty talented people from time to time. But for the most part, we don't lose the talented people. And we've upgraded our hiring amazingly. I mean, you know, I said this in the Rainmaker group last year. One of the things I'm most excited about is when I think about the people we're hiring today compared to who we hired two and three years ago, it's unbelievable the level of talent we're hiring today compared to what we used to hire. So, and Eric, talk about your team a little bit and, and go into, you know, the unique personalities and also the talents and and maybe even some of the challenges that some of them have, because what I want you to hear, you know, you guys that are listening to this right now is that it's not perfect, but it works in an amazing way. And what are you guys going to bring in in new assets this year, Eric, like 90 million? No, more than that. Um, no, no, over 100. Okay, so over 100. So here you have a team of six people bringing over 100 million. Um, that's a firm. That's an entire company. There are probably only in the AE system, there might only be, when you get down to the truth and you don't double count money, which unfortunately <laughs> in this business, you know, a lot of people do. We don't. Um, we have pure numbers, but 
lot of people do. My guess is in that system, there are only 10 firms that are bringing in over 100 million, and those are entire companies. So talk about your team, the philosophy, maybe some of the changes we've made recently, and how it works together, and then some of the friction points that you've got to make sure that um, are being dealt with. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, you've been, you've invited me multiple times to come speak at the group. And in a lot of those times, um, they're sitting there, I'll go through, um, I'll go through a green appointment. And, you know, I always say that it's 20 to 22 minutes long, which it is, and I can show anyone, but uh, it didn't used to be that way. You know, used to drive to everyone's house and, you know, I'd have these, you know, nice conversations with people and we'd get around to talking business and we'd have lunch and they'd make me pies and, you know, they'd introduce me as family, you know, and that's awesome. That's not how you scale. And it's, you know, and you can care about people having, having much quicker interactions They're, because that's not scalable, you know, and what that ends up being is then, you know, we have the mindset of being run like a doctor's office with efficiency. When you go to meet with your doctor, your doctor, you know, assesses the situation, gives you advice and leaves and you do it because they know what they're talking about. And that's confidence, not arrogance. But, you know, we got to a point some years ago where you and I were talking and I had, I don't know, 600 clients and you hit a point where you're done. You're either going to manage your existing clients um, or you're going to continue to make new clients, but you can't do both, not unless you offload some of those clients. But of course, how do you do that without them feeling snubbed? Um, you know, and that's why, and it takes some humility here on the part of Joel is, you know, back in the day when you're meeting everyone at their house and they're making you the pie and they call in, I know I, I got to talk to Eric. Eric's my guy. I got to talk to Eric. Well, that has you returning phone calls at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Like that's not freedom. You know, that's, if you, as you said, like, that's not a business. That's, you know, your business running you and it's not scalable, you know, so you have to go through the growing pains of structuring a team. So then you can have someone come in like Ray, whose job is not to write new business, but to treat those existing clients like absolute gold and, you know, live up to the promises that we've made to them, both from a, you know, retention standpoint, you know, keeping those ongoing relationships going and whether it's, you know, generating, new introductions, but at the core, just doing what we promised we would do because some people, you know, like Ray is great all day, every day, just having those long conversations. You don't have to raise any more assets, just, you know, walk them through the allocation, all that stuff. And then other people, you know, the people that are going to be the biggest rainmakers from a business running perspective are the people that want to close, you know, they, they want to move forward with this stuff. They want to help people. They see people that can be helped and they want to make sure that they break through so that they can help, help them. So, you know, the original team member is we were looking for someone who really wasn't an assistant role, um, uh, who is Diana, who now after, you know, a number of years, I am massively reliant on, you know, and now we've built a structure where the clients call in, they're like, oh, I just want to talk to Diana because they don't need to break down the allocation of their portfolio. You know, they want to talk to someone about, you know, their spouse who's real sick and just got moved to hospice and Diana will have that conversation for 40 minutes. So, now we're at a place because I was being, you know, you get running, running, running. And all of a sudden, end of the day, you have all the phone calls to return and they don't really need to talk to you. But, you know, you've got to call them and you got these emails. Well, if you structure a good team, you know, you create an environment where that person doesn't even want to talk to you. They want to talk to the team and they know Eric's in meetings. So they're, they talk to Diana and they're thrilled about it. You know, and then we bring on like Ray, another advisor, um, and then someone like Lane, who's going to process all the biz so that 
you know, clients get used to that person and only have to talk to this one person. And you have these roles. We had a team meeting today just to talk about, um, you know, we, we all work together as a team and everything, but we all have specific roles and you just got to focus on, you know, crushing that role. And then the whole thing works. You work as a unit, but that's how you scale. And a lot of that is ego, you know, cause I was in that place years ago that, no, you know, I feel, I feel real important and real special when this person just, they absolutely need to talk to me. Well, then how do you go on vacation and actually detach, you know, because when I'm out, I can be a hundred percent out because there's Joel and there's the team and all the people that trust and we structure it the right way, but it takes time to do that. But it's where you want to be, you know, where you can have actual flexibility because you have a real business that is not a hundred percent reliant on you because that helps your ego, but not much else. So right now you have, you have yourself, you have Ray who works with clients, but he's not a service advisor, which some people call him. He, he is there to bring in new business from existing clients, but also be there to always be available right away for clients. And how much money will Ray bring in this year on his own? I, I just, I, I want As people to understand. As of right now, November 24th, he's brought in 24 million. Okay, so this is not some flunky person of, that's of just new there assets. to. Yeah, no, right. I mean this is this this is know, a person that is selling a million dollars a year, like you know. They're selling. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the etiquette for language on this, but like the rule of an advisor is, you kick ass for us, or you can leave. Yeah. So. And and then we have Heather, who's also an advisor, and Heather is bringing in new business. Um, she's assigned you know, new prospects all the time. She's also doing a webinar. She runs our women's uh, events. Um, she doesn't yep. run them. She presents at them. She's a salesperson. But we put her on Eric's team because we wanted her to learn from Eric, be around a vibrant team, uh, be around a team that was running fast, not pick up any bad habits. And she's an amazing recruit. Um, she's just been, you know, great for the firm. She's got a phenomenal future in this business. Um, very, very sharp, wants to help people, does a great job planning, um, but also presents very, very well and, and is eager to learn. So, so we've got Eric, Ray, and Heather, all advisors, all bringing in business, but Ray mostly focusing on existing clients. And then, Eric, you said you have Diana, and then we've got two other people on that team. Um, we have Maddie and Lane. So why don't you talk about them? So Maddie... Um uh, originally began as, you know, calendar management and scheduling all the appointments. And she's phenomenal um, and loves to talk to people on the phone. And we're all in those meetings and you're running fast and you're looking forward and, you know, you, everything's lined up to make the person a client. For whatever reason, the, the timing's just not there. It just doesn't line up. So you take that file and you tell yourself, I'm going to call this person in a month and you finished it up the right way and you put that in a file and then you go on to the next and you forget, you never call that person again. And then in a year, you know, you try and convince yourself with this false sense of reality that you've got a file cabinet worth of gold, which you should just bring to the shredder and trash it because like, it's all dead. So not with her, you know, I, I, you know, I follow up with that person, but if I ask Maddie, you know, here's the situation with this person, because a lot of people you're rolling a boulder up a hill and they're like an inch away from the top and it's not ready right now. And you don't push and you don't pressure, but you know that it should happen. She's the person to make sure that that thing moves forward. You know, I, I had someone I talked to last week who lived up, uh, it's coincidentally kind of up near Joel in this town in Connecticut called Ashford, which is 
not really the place that you would find, not Joelstown, but not the place that you would find like a, a really wealthy person. But this person happened to be a big landowner in Ashford and they were selling this piece of property. And we've had this conversation with folks that, you know, they don't really have a lot of money today, but I'm going to sell this piece of land and it's really going to happen. And you're it's kind of like, like the guy, the guy that's about to win the big lawsuit. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> OK, yeah, uh, OK. But anyway, I said, hey, Maddie, here's a situation with these folks and they're nice people. We had a good rapport and this is in the time of COVID. So we're doing a Zoom call. And uh, I told Maddie, hey, stay in touch with these people. Um, those people gave us 900 grand last week. And the start of that phone call, and that was a Zoom, the start of that phone call was, uh, she said, uh, the, the woman said, you know, I just need to tell you that Madeline is just tenacious in all the right ways. If she said she was going to call me in two weeks, she called me at nine in the morning in two weeks. And the only reason that, you know, we're actually having this meeting today is she just never dropped the ball ever. And she loves to do that. So that's Maddie, right? So it's not just she's putting appointments on the calendar. She's resurrecting the dead on some of these things, which are people that you know you can help, but you just don't have time to follow up with because you're busy sitting with the people that are presently in front of you, you know? And then Lane's role is we refer to as specialists. So Lane is the one that ensures that when I say, okay, we're rolling this money over and we got this DocuSign and we got a firelight, there's all this stuff that we have to do. I just give it to him and then I'm done. And I make you know, I don't have to babysit it. It just all happens. And, you know, that it, it takes training to get to that point. And, you know, Brian, Joel mentioned before is, you know, critical in this because he's overseeing that whole department, but the stuff just happens because all you have to do is deliver on the promises that you've made to these people. And then they have an amazing experience because, you know, a lot of advisors um, are real, real good at the closing part, um, which I am. Um, but you're most excited about the closing part. Maybe you're not as good about the follow-up part, not because you don't care, but because you're super busy, but you got to get those people, those right team members on the team who are super excited about that stuff because they will crush it for you. And then you work together. Um, and it works great. So now the team is six people and you know, that, that role we mentioned with Ray, who is, you know, he's bringing on business, but his focus is on the retention because, you know, if you're building a managed book, you know, and you got money going out as fast as you got money coming in, you know, you've got a lot of activity um, and it's just a mess, you know? So, so he exists on that side just to have the conversation with the guy that's got 900,000 under management. And yeah, you know, maybe I'm a little annoyed if he wants to talk about why I'm making trades in his account because it's my job, but uh, Ray's not, you know, so he'll talk to that person and talk him through the whole allocation, the engineer language, all that jazz to make sure that that person's 100% comfortable and then on we go. Yeah, and I think your team has what, $180 million uh, in actively managed accounts, something like that, a lot. Do you even Sounds know? Sounds right, even... it's, yeah. it's a big number. <laughs> I'm, I'm not being coy, I don't, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, so that, that Ray role is important and the Heather role is important too because Heather will see new business, um, new prospects, but she'll yeah. also be there to talk to clients. And both of them are very patient and very thorough, where many times when you have somebody that's a, that's um, that gets excited about bringing a new, new client more than anybody else, they don't want to be slowed down by reaching back into the past and dealing with a client that's already part of the firm. And so, you know, this is a good place to close, but it's important as, as you guys can hear here as Eric talks is, 
that there are different talents within the firm and we don't try to mush those talents together. Eric would not be good at servicing existing clients and answering these questions, but those questions need to be answered from clients. And so we put somebody on there like Ray who came to us six or eight months ago and said, I don't want to see any brand new prospects. I just want to work with the existing clients and bring a new business. So if you can segregate your firm like that, find people that are excited about doing one thing, let them do it. You know, fill in the goal somewhere else. Don't make them do something that they don't like to go uh, do because you need somebody to do that stuff. For heaven's sakes, be a real business owner and hire the person to do those things and free people up. And by the way, it's okay if in an eight-hour day somebody actually has 30 minutes to stare out the window and think. We want our people thinking. We want them running fast. We want them trying to keep up, but we also want them having time to be creative, to develop as human beings. Um, we have programs we fund where they can go for per personal and professional development and so on. So, um, so Eric, this has been great. I know guys are going to get a lot out of it. Um, hopefully, we will see everybody uh, soon. We're scheduling the next Rainmaker events for next year. We've actually got the date set up. It's going to be a, a new format. It's going to be pretty exciting. You guys will love it. Not that new, but a um, little bit different to keep things fresh. And so any parting words, Eric? <laughs> no. I knew you were going to ask that. And I'm like, oh, think of something smart. Don't think uh, of any. I hear I've got something. I've got something really cool. So my I'm wife, ready. so I, my phone just, you know, was sitting there blank on the, on the desk over the side of me. And I get a little Tesla. So my wife is driving my Tesla to go pick up her Buick. Wouldn't it be cool if I just shut it off while she was on the way? I could probably do that on the app, don't you think? I could just shut it off and get it to stop driving and freak her out. Oh, so that's the parting right word. Now? That those, those are the parting words for today. Um, <laughs> since I'm a endlessly distractible individual, but Eric, thanks a lot. Thanks for being here and Rainmakers out there. Um, you know, we've had a few weeks here of some pretty darn good podcasts, and we want to keep it up. So, if you've got some ideas, let me know. Email me. Call my office. Um, I look forward to seeing you soon. Have a great Christmas, New Year's, uh, Hanukkah, and um, have a great 2021. But don't write off 2020 yet. Finish strong. Finish really, really strong. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>